Amen. Go with me, if you will, to the book of Acts, chapter number three. It's good to see everyone in the house of the Lord tonight. We have uh, my text. Uh, my text app has worked overtime. Folks worried about the storm, staying home, and uh, we want you to help us pray for everybody's safety. Everything turn out all right in in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember our district event Friday night. I announced Sunday for Thursday and Friday. Thursday is uh, ministers only. Friday night at 7.30, Brother Jeff Morgan. Um, at 10 o'clock, Brother Morgan and Brother Schnitzer will be teaching throughout the day on Friday. So please remember that. Looking forward to a great time this weekend in the Holy Ghost. The book of Acts chapter number 3, if you found it, say amen. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask an alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms, and Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, Leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. Lord, I pray you bless the reading the preaching and hearing of your word. I ask you, Lord Jesus, accomplish the purpose that you've sent this word into this church for tonight. God, I pray for all that have gathered here and all that are watching online. I ask you, God, to let your word be confirmed with signs following. Do your work, God, I pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 God bless you. You can be seated. This is the 14th lesson in our series on Acts the title for tonight is Results of an Apostolic Experience. Results of an Apostolic Experience. There are many people these days who are seeking signs. People who are, who are looking for signs and wonders. But Jesus indicated that this really was not the way that a believer should live. Matthew 12 and 39, but he answered and said unto them, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. If God never does another miracle, we should still believe and serve him. Amen. If he never works another miracle, there's never, never another healing. If God never does anything else, that is miraculous, then we still should serve him because as believers, we don't follow signs, but signs follow believers. It was in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16 and verse number 17, 
The Bible says, and these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name, they shall cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So you understand that we don't seek for signs, but we do believe that signs follow believers. When a church, when a believer, when a church member follows an apostolic pattern, then that church and that believer should expect an apostolic result. Amen. That's what I'm preaching about tonight is results of an apostolic experience. If a church is truly apostolic, then we should expect signs to follow the believers in the church. Amen. We find in the book of Acts stuff that we've talked about now for many weeks. The church had apostolic prayer. The Bible said that these all, if, it, when it says these all, if you read the previous couple of verses, it gets, gives a listing of all the apostles. And it says, these all with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. The book of Acts the, the revival of the Pentecostal uh, outpouring of the Holy Ghost did not, start, did not start with the fire and the wind. It started with a prayer meeting. And I contend that revival still always begins with a prayer meeting. These all continued with one accord in prayer. Amen. They had apostolic prayer and they had, ap had apostolic unity. In Acts 2, the Bible said they were all in one place, with one accord and in one place. When the church gets their mind together to have a move of the Holy Ghost, then God will indeed pour his spirit out. They had apostolic prayer. They had apostolic unity. And because they had apostolic prayer and apostolic unity, they had an apostolic experience. The Bible said they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Praise God. They had apostolic prayer. I'm saying it over and over so we'll get it. They had apostolic prayer, they had apostolic unity, and they had an apostolic experience, and then they preached apostolic doctrine. Now when they heard this, Acts 2.37, they were pricked in their heart, and they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what? shall we do? Amen. Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Amen. I, I had, uh, we had one of our new members that were that uh, back a few weeks ago, they were speaking with a uh, pastor of a small group up, uh, up towards Memphis. And, uh, and he, he said that the problem with the, uh, with the, with the apostolic folks is they, they preach too much from the book of Acts. And, uh, and, and you know what? I'm not even going to deny that. I'm not going to back up for one second that we preach from the book of Acts, that we teach from the book of Acts, because if you want to have a book of Acts experience, then you got to know what happened in the book of Acts. I would dare say that Christianity needs an outpouring of what happened in the book of Acts. 
You want to know why I talk about this every service? Because if we'll talk about it, we can have it. And if we'll practice it, we can see it. Because an apostolic experience will bring an apostolic result. Amen. They had apostolic kingdom life principles. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They continued in fellowship. They continued in breaking of bread. They continued in prayer. They continued daily with one accord in the temple and from house to house. And they continued praising God. When you have an apostolic experience and an apostolic lifestyle, those are the raw materials that God uses for a great apostolic revival. Amen. And so when they had this book of Acts chapter number two experience, there's a lot of people that have a Pentecostal experience, but that's all it is. It's just an experience. They come, they get the Holy Ghost, maybe they get under conviction and get baptized, and then you don't see them again. They, they start out with a Pentecostal experience, but that's as far as it goes. I'm telling you that we should expect that when we have an apostolic experience, we should expect an apostolic demonstration of God's power and God's glory. Amen. Praise the Lord. I don't think we should ever become satisfied with dead, dried up church. I don't think we should ever become satisfied with altar services where nothing happens. Amen. With church services where nobody's lives are changed. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the three we baptized this last weekend in Jesus' name. Because I have an expectation that if we'll preach apostolic doctrine, have an apostolic experience, and we'll live an apostolic lifestyle, I expect to see apostolic results in the house of God. Amen. And so what happened in the book of Acts chapter number two was not just a, a feel-good moment for the church. It wasn't for that, for that 120 in the upper room and those that were baptized that day following that, 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 that book of Acts 2 experience was not given to them just to be a memorial of something in their past, something in their history, something in their memory. It was not given to them just to have a great experience one day in God and one day in the Holy Ghost and then go on in their life and never experience the power of God again. That experience in Acts 2 was the springboard for a life of revival and power and a move of the Spirit of God. Amen. Can I say to uh, every new convert, maybe you're at home watching tonight, maybe the weather's kept you out, and, uh, and for all those of us that are in the building tonight, wherever you're watching from or listening from, let me tell you that God did not pour His Spirit on His church just so we can talk about way back when that great experience we had. God wants you to have an expectation of the power and the Spirit of God moving in your life on a regular basis. Amen. Praise God. We should have more stories from the recent than what we do from way back when, what happened to us when we got the Holy Ghost 40 years ago. We ought to be able to say God is still moving. God is still alive. And so I'm preaching tonight that the early church left the upper room and they left Acts 2 with an expectation that God was going to do great things. Amen. And so the premise, the thesis of tonight's message is that we should expect a move of the Spirit and a touch of the Holy Ghost if we're willing to live apostolic experience 
an apostolic lifestyle. So in Acts 3, the church emerged from their Acts 2 experience. They emerged from the upper room and, 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 and the, the foundational moments of the early church. And the Bible said, now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the ninth hour, at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. The ninth hour is prominent in the Bible. The ninth hour was a time of prayer. The Jews practiced three specific times of prayer every day. The third hour, the sixth hour, and the ninth hour. The, to, to our clock, it corresponds to 9 a.m., noon, and 3 p.m. The 9 a.m. was the morning sacrifice. They would gather, and the priest would offer the morning sacrifice, and the people would pray. They would come at the sixth hour and pray midday. And then at the third hour would be the beginning of the evening sacrifice, and people would come to the temple to pray. If you'll remember when, uh, when God visited Zacharias in Luke 1 in the temple, uh, Zacharias is John the Baptist's father-in-law. The Bible said, and the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. That was the ninth hour. The multitude came at the time of incense. So this was the, the beginning moments of the evening sacrifice. They, would, they were getting ready to slay the lamb for the evening sacrifice, and the people would come to the temple to pray. The multitude praying, the people, the prayer that's happening. This lame man that we learn about in just a few moments, he chose this time to be at the gate of the temple on purpose because he knew that that was when the crowd was going to come and go. Prayer at the temple could happen at any time, but there were these three prominent prayer times. One thing we learned from this passage of Scripture that I hope that we'll all apply to our life, one thing that we do know from this passage is that the early Christians had a practice of regular prayer. They had daily prayer. Prayer was not only for when they were in crisis. Prayer was not only when they needed something, but they had a daily habit of prayer. You remember what I'm talking about tonight, that an apostolic experience will bring apostolic power. And so they had this daily habit of prayer. We spoke about it a few weeks ago, Acts 2 and 46, and they, talking of the church, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house to eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. They made the church a part of their life. The church was just not something they fit in in the, in the times when they had nothing else going on. The church was not just part of their life when they had, had crisis. It was not a rescue. It, it was not a rescue uh, entity in their life when they had some major problem. But they continued daily with one accord in the temple. I want you to make a mental note of the word daily. They were daily in the temple. The Bible said they daily prayed. This was their lifestyle. Their lifestyle, of the lifestyle of the apostles and the early church was that we are going to commit ourselves to the house of God and we're going to commit ourselves to prayer. The apostolic Christian lifestyle is a lifestyle that includes church attendance and prayer. Amen. I'll go so far and be so bold as to say you cannot be a New Testament Christian without the church and without a prayer life. Amen. 
And so now let's move on for just a, a, a little bit longer. Acts, two, Acts chapter number three and verse number two. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried whom they laid daily. Everybody say daily. At the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. You notice the word daily again. So now let's, let's piece these last couple of verses together. The Bible said that the apostles were daily in the temple. And then the Bible said that they laid this man daily at the temple. So for some time, these have been passing each other. The lame man at the gate every day. The apostles going to the temple to pray every day. Day after day, there's a need and there's people with an answer. And the people with the answer pass by the person with the need. And the person with the need never stops the people with the answer. And the people with the answer never stop for the person with the need. And so you have these these, these two things that, that, that God has ordained that he was going to work in. Daily in the presence of each other, but not in the presence of God at the same time. This lame man had never stopped them before. The, these apostles had never offered prayer before. The, the context of the story is that they're complete strangers. He just is expecting a little bit of money. My point is that you never know the moment that God might decide to do a miracle. You may have been some, around some of the same people day after day, year after year, and it seemed like that they're never gonna be interested in being touched by God. But I'm gonna tell you that when God ordains it, it they, you might have seen them every day for years, but when God sets it up and it's time, God can move no matter how long it seems like it's been impossible. Amen. We've seen it, we've seen it around here, the people that have been invited to church for years that, that have always refused, have never come. Then all of a sudden, at some point in their life, they come to that moment when they realize, I need God, I need something to happen in my life. And so we need to be aware, if we wanna be the church, we need to be aware that any moment is a moment that God can change everything. Amen. Remember my thesis tonight, results of an apostolic experience. My, my point is that we have the right to expect an experience from God. This man was laid at the beautiful gate of the temple because he could not walk. He was considered ritually defective. Because of his, because of his issue, because he could not walk, because he was lame, according to the scripture, this man was forbidden from going any further than the gate of the temple. He wasn't allowed to go into the court. He wasn't allowed to go in where the sacrifices happened. He was, because he was lame, the gate was as far as he could go. This was the limit that for his experience with God. He's gone as far as he can go on his own. This lame man knew he had a need. The Bible said in verse 3, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple asked alms. He knew he had a need. This, just as simple as it is, the man was in poverty. He needed money to survive. Because of his disability, he couldn't work, and he also couldn't worship. He couldn't go into the temple, and he couldn't work. 
the man needed alms to survive. Alms were offerings given by those who went to the temple. He needed enough money to get by for another day. He needed enough money to get a meal for that night, maybe a place, maybe a place to stay in out of the elements that night. And then tomorrow he would wake up and have to find somebody willing to carry him back again so that he can get a, another offering, another little bit of charity so that he can maybe eat the next day. He goes to the temple, and the Bible says that Peter and John were going to the temple. And when he saw Peter and John to go, about to go in, he asked alms. Peter and John are two, obviously, of the most prominent apostles. Peter represents faith and miracles. He represents the power of God. Peter walked on water, as far as we know, the only person besides Jesus to ever do it, although not nearly as long as Jesus did. Peter represents faith. He represents miracles. He represents power. He preached the message at Pentecost. He, Peter was, was set free from prison by an angel. He has these, uh, these profound experiences in the power of God. John represents love. It's John that writes in his epistle, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth knoweth God and loveth God. And he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. It was John that the Bible called the disciple that Jesus loved. And it was John that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he looks down and he sees his mother. And the Bible says that, that when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved. There was, G John represents love. Peter represents power and miracles. And I will tell you that if we really want to see lives changed, then we need two things to show up to church. The power of God and the love of God. The world has love but not power. Some people have power but no love. The church, a right apostolic experience, will have both the power of God and the love of God. Amen. Peter and John coming into the temple. I pray that every time we come to the house of God, that God's people will love souls enough to reach out to them, shake their hand, pray with them. And I'm so thankful that you do. I'm glad. I'm so thankful that you do. And I, I want the church to show the love of God to everybody that comes through the doors of this building. But not everybody that, not just everyone that comes through the doors of this building, but everybody we meet outside the doors of this building. If we're really going to see God work in a demonstrative way, then we're going to have to have the love of God for people that need him. And then we're going to need the power of God to show up because not one of us is a healer and not one of us is a deliverer and not one of us is a savior. So if we're going to see God do what we believe he can do, he's going to do it through the love of God and the power of God moving through his church. So Peter and John come to the temple. And the Bible says in verses 4 and 5, and Peter fastening his eyes upon him with John said, look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. His perceived need was money. I need a little bit of money. His real need was healing. Money wasn't his real problem. Healing was what he really needed. The problem wasn't that his pockets were empty. The problem was that his ankle bones, for whatever reason, whatever the disability was, didn't allow him to stand and to walk. And so he thought he needed money, but what he really needed was healing. 
And I'm going to tell you, there's this, this world is confused on what it needs. It thinks it needs all the, the programs and all the stuff that's going on in the world. But what this world really needs is a healing touch from the power and the presence of God. What some people really think they need is only a secondary issue. God wants to meet the real needs in people's lives. Verse 5, the Bible said, the lame man gave heed expecting to receive something of them. Now, I know that, 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 that this message has been preached. I've, I think from the time that I was a little boy, I remember preachers coming by and, and preaching that we need to expect something from God, that we need to expect God to move. And that's really the thesis of what I'm preaching right now. But that's not what I'm preaching from this verse. Because in this verse, it wasn't the apostles expecting to receive. It wasn't the church expecting to receive. It was the lame man expecting to receive. And I will tell you, and I'll tell everybody that's watching right now, that may be listening in the future, that if you're not part of this church, I'm going to tell you, when you come to this place, you ought to have expectations of Bethlehem Church. Amen. You ought to expect something when you come to this place. The expectation was not on the behalf of the church. The expectation was on behalf of the lame man. The lame man expected something from God's people. And I'm telling you, this world ought to expect something from the church. Amen. When they come, they ought to expect the power of God to be here. They ought to expect the apostolic people know how to pray and we know how to call on God. They ought to expect that apostolic people will worship God and not worry about what people think about them. That we'll love the presence of God and we'll worship Him. They ought to expect the truth to be preached over this pulpit. They ought to not expect lies. They ought to not expect the patty cake religion. They ought to expect the truth to be preached. I'm telling you, the church ought to have expectations. Of, the world ought to have expectations of the church. And then Peter said unto them, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Let me ask you something. How often do we worry about what we don't have instead of using what we do have? I think somebody's getting a weather alert. That might be somebody's alarm that it's time for me to stop. <laughs> and it might be time, but I ain't doing it. How often do we worry about what we don't have instead of using what we do have? Don't tell me all the things that you're not able to do. Tell me what you can do. Too many people would have stopped at silver and gold have I none and kept on walking. But I'm telling everyone in this place right now that you have something powerful. You have something that works, something that really works, something that changes lives, something that shakes hell, and it's the power of the name of Jesus. Amen. I got a text from somebody the other day. They said ever since their spouse got full of the Holy Ghost, they've been different every single day. I got a call from a new convert's uh, uh, father that said ever since they got the Holy Ghost, they've been different. God's doing something in their family. God's working. I'm telling you that we have something powerful, and that thing that we have is the power of the name of Jesus. Amen. Something that really changes lives, something that really shakes hell. 
and it's the power of the name of Jesus. Let's not worry about, well, I, I, I can't do anything. I can't preach. I can't sing. I, I can't do this or that. Don't tell me what you can't do. Tell me what you can do. And you can pray. And you can call on Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to tell you what we do have. We got the power of the name of Jesus. And if you take all this other stuff away, if you take all these, 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 these add-ons away, we can have the power of God without all this. Thank God we've got it. But we don't have to have it to have the power of God because we are the people of the name. By being baptized in his name, we have the right to use it like no one else in the world has. Amen. When somebody says they have a problem, you say, I'm going to pray for you in Jesus' name. Some of you that text me and you ask me to pray, you know every time you do, I'll text you back that I'm praying for you in Jesus' name. Because if it's not with the name of Jesus, it's just words. But with Jesus' name, there's power. And we expect, because we have an apostolic experience, we expect an apostolic demonstration when we use his name. Amen. So, concentrate on what you do have, not on what you don't have. Acts 3 and 7, he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Listen, if you're going to help people's lives be changed, you're going to have to be willing to touch people's lives. Amen. He took him by the right hand. Sometimes people just need lifted up a little bit. Sometimes people just need picked up by people that know God and know the power of God and know the name of Jesus. He didn't just speak the word, but he reached down and he picked him up by the hand. And I want to personally thank everybody in this church that's gone out of their way to bring people to the house of God and to help them get their feet under him, to help them learn. You're grabbing them by the hand and picking them up. And I thank you because you're not just speaking words, but you're getting your hands on people and you're getting your hands in their lives. And that's what it takes to see a move of God. Amen. Took him by the right hand. This man had been lame from his mother's womb. It's not like he had walked at one point and then had an accident and, had, and, and for some reason couldn't walk anymore. It wasn't like, like he had gotten to a certain age and then something happened and he couldn't walk. This man had never known what it was like to walk, to stand. He had never known what it was like to pick himself up off the ground. Never before had he been able to get himself up from, from the place where he laid. If somebody didn't help him, he was just going to lay there. He had, was lame from his mother's womb. He had never experienced what it was like to raise himself up, to stand on his own feet and to walk. But when Peter lifted him by the hand, the Bible said immediately his ankle bones received strength. Praise God. And he, verse 8, leaping up, stood and walked. That's awesome. Man, that's awesome. He didn't have, he didn't have six weeks of, of, of physical therapy to get him eight, to, to learn how to, how to shift his weight so he can get to, to, to learn how to stand up. He didn't have somebody, he didn't have anybody have to teach him how to say, you've ever seen a baby walk? We see one, right? You see that, that, that baby, when she first started standing up, she, she wobbles around, Right? Hello. That's what babies do. Because they've never stood. They have to get that memory in their mind and their muscles to know how to, how to get up and how to stand. And, and so when they, this man had never, he, it, from, from that perspective, he was just like a little baby. His muscles knew, no idea how to stand up. 
No idea how to get up and stand up and walk. But when the Holy Ghost touched him, he immediately got strength in his ankle bones. And he, amen, leaping up, stood and walked. I got thinking about this verse a while ago, and I got, man, I got excited about it because that's what I want to see happen in people's lives in our community. I want to see them get up, stand up, and walk with God. Amen. There's people that have been down so long. There's people that have been down in their addiction, down in their sin, down in their false doctrine, down in their past, down in dysfunction. I want them to get up out of that stuff that's kept them bound their whole life. And I want them to learn how to stand up like men and women of God. And then I want them to learn how to walk in God. I'm telling you, it can happen by the power of Jesus' name. The progression of lives being changed. We need people to get up, to stand up, and to walk in the Lord. Now notice what happened. He, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple. He had not been able to do that. He had been laid at the gate because of his disability. He couldn't go into the temple. But now, in a moment, not only is he leaping up, but he's going where he had never been able to go before, where the limits, where man's limits had always stopped him where there's always somebody there to to say, you've gone as far as you can go. You've gone as far as you can because of your problems, because of your trials, because of your disabilities, because of what you've got wrong in your life. You can't go any further than this. But when God touched him, the place he could never go before, now he's going. Praise God. I'm telling people that maybe, maybe your past, maybe your sin, maybe your failures have kept you from going far in God. I'm telling you, as soon as the Holy Ghost touches you, you can go to places in the Holy Ghost that you've never been able to go before. You want to talk about real peace. You want to talk about joy. You want to talk about a future. You want to talk about having the power of God. Then that's what's going to happen when the Holy Ghost touches people. I'm talking about we can expect it to happen when we have an apostolic experience. Amen. He walked into the temple. From his mother's womb, the gate had been his limit. But now, what was his limit is in his past. It's behind him. What had been his ceiling is now his floor. He's gone further than he's ever gone because the power of the name of Jesus has obliterated the limits that his flesh had set. Verse number 9 and 10, And all the people saw him walking, and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. In, this, in, in, in just these, these uh, two or three verses, Acts 3, 8, 9, and 10, Luke uses the word walking four times. It's obvious that the emphasis is this man is walking. There's a chain reaction of revival when God really turns somebody's life around. Amen. Everybody can see when someone's walking and praising God. This man that they had passed by, this man that they had walked by so many times, this man that they had probably dropped a few coins in his cup from time to time, They've, they've given him a little bit of money here and there. Maybe they bought him a meal once or maybe gave him enough to get a place to sleep for one night. All the people saw him walking and they knew this is the man that sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. They had just a few moments before walked right by him to go in to worship God. 
Some of them giving him a little bit and some with no regard whatsoever for his condition. They had just walked by him and now the man they had left at the gate is now in there praising God and the Bible said they were filled with wonder and amazement. May I tell you that I'm, happy, I'm gonna ask those of you that are listening right now, I'm gonna ask you to begin to pray something very specific, if you will. I want you to begin to pray that God will turn someone's life around, that it will be so, it will fill our community with so much wonder and amazement that everybody's gonna take notice of what God's doing. Amen. Amen. You hear what I'm saying? All the people saw him walking. I'm going to tell you, it's one thing for somebody to come and get an experience, an emotional experience, but it's a whole other deal when people come and they begin to walk with God from here out. Amen. I'm telling you that God wants to turn people's lives around so they'll walk and praise God, and it will shake our communities, shake our neighborhoods. There's families out there that if one member of their family would get the Holy Ghost, it would turn the entire family around. Amen. That's what I'm asking you to begin to believe God for, that we ought to expect that an Acts 2 experience brings an Acts 3 miracle and revival. I am telling you as an apostolic Pentecostal full of the Holy Ghost that you should expect the power of God to move in your life on a regular basis. Not just the preacher. Not just the evangelist, but when you go to work, when you go to Walmart, when you go to the store, when you're in your family reunion, with your, with your, when you're with your neighbors and your friends, you should expect as an apostolic that because you have the right experience and the right doctrine and the right name and the right lifestyle, you should expect that an Acts 3 normally and naturally follows an Acts 2 experience. I'll go so far as to say that an Acts 2 experience that's not followed by an Acts 3 is not a real Acts 2 experience. I didn't expect a whole lot of amens right there, but I got one from Sister Wilson and one from Brother Wilson, so I know I'm good. <laughs> they knew the man. They knew his disability. They recognized that he had been changed. My, 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 my desire tonight is to get us to view what happens when we come in this building as more than just an experience for us to have and enjoy. But when we have these experiences, when God moves and the Holy Ghost falls and we feel the presence of God and we feel the power of God, we should expect that what God is doing in us will reach somebody on the outside. An apostolic experience should expect an apostolic demonstration. God, I pray that somebody lead us as your church to somebody. God, maybe they've been lame from their mother's womb, whether in spirit or in body. And God, when you turn their lives around, it's going to get the attention of everybody that knows them. They'll be filled with wonder and amazement. God, I thank you for every great experience that you've ever given me in the Holy Ghost. Going all the way back to when I was a little boy and I felt your presence in Sunday school and in altar services. From the time I was a little boy, God, I've been able to feel the Holy Ghost and you let me be born in a Pentecostal church and experience the power and the glory of God. 
Lord, throughout my entire life, I've seen you do great things over and over and over and over again. I've felt your power. I've felt the anointing of your spirit, God, over and over. Even, even when I didn't deserve it at all, God, you let me feel your glory and touch me again with the Holy Ghost. And God, I thank you for every experience. What we felt, what we experienced here this weekend, the worship, the power of God, the glory of God, people being baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost. Thank you for that great experience, God. I thank you for all the experiences. But here's my prayer, God, that we're not just a consumer of experiences. I don't want to just be a consumer of Acts 2 experiences. God, I want you to... Help me to expect an Acts 3 experience based on my Acts 2 experience. That what you do in us and for us is not given to us to entertain us until you come, but it's given to us so we can give it to somebody else so that we can be the ones that say, such as I have, give I unto thee. Lord, I pray, God, for everyone that's here and everyone that's watching and listening tonight. I pray that you help us to be like Peter and John, that as we leave this place, that we'll be looking for opportunities for you to do what you do. And God, I'm not going to worry about what I can't do and what I don't have and what talents I don't have because I've got the power of your name and i got the Holy Ghost, and that's enough to turn people's lives around. Help us to go forth from this building and be the church that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you. You are dismissed in the name of the Lord.